Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us this Sunday. And again, I just imagine all of us being in our little watch parties for our small groups, in our living room, in our bedroom, but wanting to worship and hear God's word together. It is Sunday. It's our Sabbath day. It might feel like Groundhog Day every day, but this is different. God set apart today, once a week, to remember him, to think of him, and to rest. And I hope that today you will find rest, maybe in a different way than, you know, binging Netflix on your couch like I have here and there, but that your soul would find rest. Um, and, you know, we're, as we worship this morning and listen to God's word, I just really want us to lift our eyes to him. That was my encouragement to Ben and Liz and myself. You know, it's so easy just to feel like I'm talking to a camera and you're looking at a screen. But what if we all place ourselves in front of Jesus' feet in his throne room and spend the time with him, with his person? That's why I want to invite you into this morning as we worship. Um, that you're worshiping before God, the creator of the universe, the one who loves you. Sing to him this morning, and we want to do the same. So I invite Ben and Liz up as I pray and bless our service this morning. God, thank you so much for allowing us to worship you. And I pray that it might feel awkward to hear our own voice or to sing in front of a laptop, but help us to close our eyes and place ourselves with the angels in your throne room, giving you praise. You deserve it, God. We want to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks so much, Ben and Liz. I hope that you enjoyed your time just worshiping with us this morning. You know, this might not be a surprise, probably isn't, but I just heard a survey that we're more lonely than we've ever been. And again, how could we not be when we aren't able to see our friends, a lot of our families, and social distancing is so good for the epidemic and stopping it, and I get that, and it's so hard on the soul. But I really love the way our church has come together, uh, dropping off, you know, big goods for each other, meeting up in small groups and on Sundays for watch parties, finding creative ways to uh, do board games and watch Netflix together and just hang out. And then for me, maybe, maybe some of my best parts of the day is at 9 a.m. where we get to come together, connect with Jesus and each other over the day-by-day devotional. And we're actually going to start a second one uh, of that on, at 5 p.m. So I know a lot of you guys aren't up at 9 yet, so we're trying to reach a second group of people in our community at 5 and have even some of us do it twice, once at 9 and once at 5. So please look, at, look forward to that. And then at 5.30, we actually do a workout. Chris G. Maurice leads us in um, the One Punch Man workout with push-ups, squats, uh, ab workouts. And I just, I just think that um, at Renew, we don't have to feel alone. We don't have to be alone. And I think about also all of you who might be joining us. Um, and, and you're not connected to our community. You're, you're just connecting to our Facebook fan page, um, sermons on Sunday. I'd say that that's such a small part of who we are as a community. And I want to invite you into the rest of Renew, all the days in between where we get to know, love, and care for one another. I, I really want to invite you into our church. And so if you're um, not part of those things but want to be. I put up a Google form. It's literally like 25 seconds getting some basic information. And we love for a pastor or an intern at Renew to reach out to you and just kind of help you into any of these things that you might want to join. And so it's on our comment thread on uh, this live feed. Just fill it out and we love to connect with you. All right, we're actually moving back into Matthew. We're finally finishing off the series. Uh, we took a break after for Advent, and then we did Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which has really served us during this time as we talked a lot about silence and solitude, uh, connecting with the person of Jesus. And then we went a little, we like stepped back into Matthew for two weeks, and then 
all of COVID-19 happened. Our life got thrown upside down. So we did a a four-week pause to just kind of think and process everything that was going on. And finally, we're back in Matthew. Uh, We're going to finish it off. I think it's been like two and a half years. And so today we're, we're in Matthew 25 as we look at the end times, this last sermon in that series. And then after that, it's this final narrative of Jesus from the Last Supper to the crucifixion and then the resurrection of Christ. All of our Sundays and even our live streams, we try to kind of pause and take time in our small goose for our opening question. So today we're actually going to draw a picture of Jesus. And so would you like scramble to find a piece of paper and a pen? And uh, we're just going to spend three minutes drawing a picture of Jesus and then two more minutes just sharing that with our Zoom group. Or if you're not a part of our small group, go ahead and post it in the comments of our Facebook feed. And I would love to just kind of see how we see Jesus. And I think it's really cool that we'll have different imageries of him. So we're going to set a five-minute timer, spend three minutes drawing Jesus and two minutes showing that on your Zoom video or on our comment section. Take a photo and post it. All right, we'll be back in five minutes. All right, I hope you had fun drawing a picture of Jesus. We're actually going to jump into Matthew chapter 25, 31 to 33. So Ken is going to pull that up. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with them, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger and needing clothes, or sick or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. All right, a lot of you guys drew Jesus. And I think for me, I would draw Jesus maybe sitting next to me, putting his arm around my shoulder. Or I think about Jesus tending sheep, you know, as as we are his flock. And I wonder if that's the Jesus you drew, even if it was a quick sketch, if it was a smiley face, him in a robe, um, him looking super nice and inviting. But the picture we get of Jesus here is not that picture. Andrew Starfield drew this picture of Jesus as a lion coming in, parting the seas. And that's the kind of imagery we get of Jesus in the scene. Look at the passage with me again. This is one of the greatest and most explicit declarations of Jesus as God. He's not in a robe. He's not sitting with us. He's not a human uh, in, in just clothed in simply his humanity. That Jesus is coming as God and King. And he says this in the most clear fashion that the Son of Man 
He's not coming in the glory of, of God. He's coming in his own glory. He sits on his own throne, right? So he is, is not um, bringing in God's glory. He has his own glory. He has his own throne, which talks about his authority. He's coming with all of his angels, and he's gathering all of the nations before him. Could you just imagine that with me for a second? That Renew is gathered before Jesus, all 150 of us. Fullerton is gathered before Jesus, 150,000. California and the millions are gathered before Jesus. The United States, 350 million standing before Jesus. And then the big nations, China, 100, 100, uh, 1.5 billion. India, 1 billion. The rest of the world, 7 billion people standing along the coast and inland of California, looking up at this king. And then the rest of the people across history, maybe another 6 billion from Adam and Eve to 40 years ago, standing before Jesus. And he comes sitting on his throne as bright as the sun. We can't see his face because of his glory and everyone's on their knees. And if you look up at the sky, there's no space between the angels. They fill every blue in the heavens. And we're just kneeling before him. When you think about the Jesus we know and love, it's true. He's our friend. We hold his hand. He weeps with us. But that's a sliver in time compared to him sitting on his throne. That's the default. Angels singing holy, holy, holy and every creation bowing before him is his every day. And him coming to earth for 33 years pales in comparison to who Jesus is all the time. Being worshipped in his glory. And this is the scene that Jesus is painting in Matthew chapter 25. The Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. He sits on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he is the judge. You know, I, I want you to hold this Jesus before you because this is Jesus all the time for eternity. He's more like this than he is on earth. And I wonder if this is the Jesus that we envision as we worship and close our eyes. And I, and I, hope, I hope that this is the Jesus that we hold on to as we journey into the Last Supper and the cross. The Jesus that every, which every knee will bow to is the same Jesus that takes a knee to wash his disciples' feet. The Jesus that commands legions of angels, maybe there's more angels than there are humans, is the same Jesus that gives himself to a band of, of a few Roman soldiers. And the same Jesus that is sitting on the throne judging every nation across time is the one who stands silent before the Sanhedrin. The Jesus that at the snap of a finger can destroy humanity is the same one that allows himself to be flogged and for nails to be driven through his hands and through his feet. Is that the Jesus that we know? Because the cross becomes really cheap and grace becomes just another filler word. Jesus, as our best friend, becomes really familiar if, if we're unfamiliar with Jesus sitting in his throne and humanity gathered before him on their knees and angels filling the sky. You know, there's this um, Kill Bill 2 quote, volume 2 quote, where the main char- one of the main characters talks about how he loves Superman because Superman, all the other heroes put on a disguise to become a hero, but Superman puts on a disguise to become human. He's always Superman, 
but his disguise is Clark Kent. Whereas Bruce Wayne is Bruce Wayne, but his disguise is Batman. You know, Jesus' default is God in glory. And he comes and humbles himself to take on human nature to be with us. That's the first thing that I think about as I look at this passage, a reminder uh, in this last sermon, Jesus makes clear that he's God before the Last Supper, before the Garden of Gethsemane, before the crucifixion. The second thing that stands out to me is the sheep and the goat. So the sheep are Je- is people who believe Jesus as their king, and the goats are those who see Jesus as not their king, right? And, and Jesus makes clear how he delineates the sheep from the goat. The sheep are, are people, when they saw him hungry, they fed him. When they saw him thirsty, they gave him something to drink. When they saw that he was, was without clothes, they clothed him. But both the sheep and the goat answer in this way, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and help you or did not help you? And Jesus replies to both of them, whatever you did, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Or to the goat, he said, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Now, again, we think about this moment it's less of a parable than it is a prophecy. The only metaphor here is sheep and goat. It's a really light and straightforward metaphor. Everything else is him giving us a picture of the future. That when, when we stand before Jesus with the rest of humanity and the angels are above us, each of us will hear these words from the mouth of our king. Okay, it's not just a picture to draw. It's, it's, a, it's a place that we'll all be in. Jesus saying these very words to you and me. And all of us are astounded. This, both the goats and the sheep are astounded because think about the context in which they're hearing these words. Jesus is sitting on the throne and saying, I was hungry. And you're like... I don't know. I can't really look at you. I'm on my knees. You command the earth and you're saying that at a certain point you were hungry or you were naked. You naked like the king of the universe was naked. And Jesus reveals that what we did or do not do for the least of these we did not did or did not do for him. The last thing that stands out to me is that there are a segment of these goats who don't believe they should be there, right? So I'm surprised at the glory of Jesus. We're surprised at his statements of being naked and hungry and in prison. But I think maybe what's most surprising to me and and what I grieve most deeply in, I mean, the whole scene is one of fear, but maybe what I fear most is are these goats who say, wasn't I supposed to be a sheep? Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, says this a different way. The same space and time, the same future. And then verse 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, drive out demons. In your name, perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So I think that most of the people who are standing on the left side, on the goat side, on the side that doesn't believe in Jesus as king are kind of okay with it. Like, they didn't know who Jesus was. They knew about him, but they didn't really want to follow him. And they're like, I know why I'm here. Like, I've, I've never submitted to him as king. I never cared for his commands. I was really apathetic towards him. And I've always been an unbeliever. And they're kind of okay with it, right? And then there's this group of people who have said, Lord, Lord, has done ministry, 
and who are wondering why they're on this side. I think it's because everyone who's a goat, at the end of the day, they were the king of their own lives. Tim Keller says that our hearts is an idol factory. So the opposite of following Jesus isn't necessarily following an idol or grievous sins or being a Satan worshiper. Following us and us being king is the opposite of Jesus being king. And our idols are really just a reflection of our own hearts. You know, when, when we worship the idol of money, it's really a mirror to the greed that is in our souls. When we worship beauty or career success, it's really just a mirror of our own desire to be valued. That our hearts kind of craft and create external idols for us to chase after and worship. Some of them are just our Instagram uh, the people we love on Instagram, the people we wish we were, that they're literally our idols. We wish we had their life. It's really just an external expression of our internal heart that we want, want these things. These things are what really matter, are what we really care about, is what will really make us happy. And I think the goats simply had Jesus as just another idol to fulfill their will and their longings. That Jesus wasn't their king. They were king, and Jesus was just this external expression of what they want, right? So it's like we go to church not because we love and want to obey Jesus. It's because we just want friends. We sing not because we love and want to worship Jesus. We just want a high We do ministry not because we want to serve other people and serve Jesus. It's because we want some type of position. You see, these goats thought they were Christian and thought that they were worshiping Jesus, but they were actually using Jesus to worship themselves. It's like some people, instead of praying to Buddha for money, they become Christian, and so they just replace Buddha's name with Jesus. But it's the same prayers. I want a promotion. I want my kids to get into UCLA. And I want money. And it's, the, it's just another name for the same idol. And I think we need to be deathly afraid that Jesus is just another idol in our lives. Another idol we've crafted with our desire in our hands. And we've muted him. He has no authority He's not a real person that we interact with. He's just these religious rituals to get what we want. It it scares me when I see people bend God's word to their will. It scares me when people are willing to just kind of X out large sections of scripture because it's not what they believe. It scares me when Christianity is defined by our personal journey and how we feel about things rather than the very word of God and the king. And one day we're going to be held accountable for those things. When we're sitting there as a dot in the, in the sea of humans, we'll know that we weren't that important, that Christianity and theology isn't defined by what we think is right, that there's a real king. And, and did we serve him with our lives or was or are we a goat who spent our whole life serving ourselves, and Jesus was a part of serving us? He was just a tool. He was just an idol. He was just there to fill what we really want. There's nothing scarier than this for me. You know, as a young Christian, I was deathly afraid of being that type of a goat. And now as a pastor, I'm deathly afraid of affirming a community of goats that think they're sheep. I'm so scared of sitting down with you, having coffee, and feeding into into this lie that you're a Christian, if that's true, right? Like that would be my worst role as a pastor is to convince you you're a Christian when you're actually not. You know, we need to have a sober mind as we think about our faith. And here's here's a helpful passage. And I hope that we'll all take a step back and ask this question again. Am I saved? Is Jesus my king? 
Is there evidence of my salvation? Or is it just one of the things I do, one of the idols I worship for me? My life is really about me being queen, me being king. You know, Matthew 25 helps us with this. The rest of our text is really helping us mark our lives and, and, and evaluate our faith. Chapter 25, verse 34 says, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Same thing. Um, when, when were you sick? When were you in prison? When were you naked? And Jesus said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. You know, when I think about this passage, it's really easy to get confused and to say, if I feed enough people, I go to heaven, right? If I clothe enough poor people, I go to heaven. It can easily become a works-based salvation. But we notice that even these, the sheep weren't correlating their salvation with their works. So what Jesus is saying here and what he's speaking into isn't the beginning of our faith, but the end of it. He's not saying this is how you become a Christian. This is, this is about how you know you're a Christian, evidences of your faith. We become Christian by giving our lives to Jesus, asking him to forgive us and saying, you're my king. But there, when we say you're my king and if we mean it, there's fruit and a lifestyle that comes out of that, right? So let me give you an example. When I, when I say, like, I want to be a, a volleyball player, like, I love beach volleyball. You hear that every Sunday, right? I love beach volleyball so much. I love it. How much I love it. And I say, what if I said, I want to be a professional beach volleyball player? Like, not that I'm going to make money, but it's all I'm going to do with my life, right? This is my one goal in life is to go pro or to be the best beach volleyball player I can be. And then Ben and I, you know, I don't go to church anymore. I, I leave everything. All I, I spend... I, I just do beach volleyball. And then 10 years later, Ben comes up to me and he sees me play beach volleyball and I totally suck, right? I don't know how to bump. I don't know how to pass. He's like, hey, did you play beach volleyball at all over 10 years? I'm like, no, I didn't really play beach volleyball. I just, you know, I did other things. And then he would evaluate that first statement and say, you didn't have real intentions because if you really loved beach volleyball, there would be evidence of your love for that, right? You would go to the beach every day, practice five hours, join tournaments, get coached by a pro. There's, there's evidence to, intent, to real intention. In the same way, with our faith, there's evidence when we say we want to give our lives to Jesus and follow him. Those are strong words. I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk behind him. I want to go where he went. There's going to be fruits or evidence to that statement in the course of five years and 10 years. So fruit doesn't give evidence to life, but it's evidence that the tree has life. If you see a, a tree with the apple hanging off of it, the apple isn't giving life to the tree, but it's evidence that the tree is alive. In the same way, works doesn't save us. It doesn't give us salvation, but it's evidence that we are saved. And if we spend our life following Jesus, right? If we're following Jesus through the course of our life, we'll find ourselves with the needy with the hungry, with the socially awkward, with the vulnerable. Because think about the three years in which the disciples followed Jesus. Where did they end up? They went on to shore. There's a city on one side filled with important people and money and religious leaders. And three miles away from the city where no one goes is a cemetery. Who goes and visits a cemetery? And Jesus starts walking that way. The disciples are like, dude, the city's... On the other side, 
that's where you should be teaching and doing miracles and making friends with politicians and wealthy businessmen. And Jesus keeps walking toward the cemetery where there's a naked guy cutting himself with rocks. No one wants to hang out with him. And the disciples find themselves with those people as they follow Jesus. The tax collector named Zacchaeus climbing a tree because no one would let him see Jesus. But Jesus sees him and says, I'm going to your house. Around Jesus' table again and again are sinners and prostitutes. And prostitutes were the same Right? I mean, there should be shock value here. There wasn't like a Bible prostitute that did other things. No, the prostitute does the same things for a thousand years. And Jesus is with her, with them. And if you're following Jesus, you're with them too. I wonder if that's the evidence of our faith. James says true religion that God finds pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. When we look at the lineage of our faith, when we look at, at the lifetime of our journey with Jesus, is it sterile? Is it easy and comfortable? Is it really just in service to what we want? Or do we see a trail of people that as we're following Jesus, we go to that used to be invisible, that no one else sees, but he sees them and he leads us to them. You know, there's really beautiful aspects of, um, of our community. I've always wanted Renew to be a mission team. And actually, part of that came from this really simple moment. I was... Um, I was probably one of my first years in ministry as a lay person. I wasn't paid. I was just leading Bible study. Uh, ben was there. Maybe he was in seventh or eighth grade. And there was a sixth grader. She came up to me and she said, Wilson, uh, I did this terrible thing and I need to repent. Would you talk to me about it? And I said, okay. And we're in Hacienda Heights, upper middle class, very Asian church. And um, after a small group, you know, I sat down with her and I said, What'd you do? How can I pray for you? And, and I just knew it was this tender moment where she's going to repent of something terrible. And so she said, you know, when, when my mom told me to go to sleep, I went to the room, I closed the lights, and instead I put the blanket over my head, I turned on my flashlight, and I finished my homework. And I said, you're going to hell. <laughs> and I just realized, man, we live in a really sterile church. <laughs> like, this is their worst sin. And, and I, I kind of swore to myself that day that we would get out of our suburban bubble and we would go um, and just serve people and, and believe that light shines the brightest in the darkness. And so we spent years in Union Rescue Mission on Skid Row, driving in once or twice a week. Uh, we, we served in the soup kitchen, and then we ended up being able to play and tutor the kids uh, who were homeless. And I just remember these kids like hanging on to us because they needed love and attention. They wanted to be known. And every time we went, we felt like we met Jesus. You know, this, even this last year, one of the most impactful moments for me was going to Royal Family Kids Camp. I spent four days there um, hanging out with, with foster kids. And in one of the trainings, you know, a volunteer was just saying, this kid was reaching up to her saying, hey, can you hold my hand? And she looked at it and it's like, you know, snot, spit, <laughs> um, probably coronavirus before it came, you know, was festering in his hands. Things were living and dying in his hands every moment, right? And she, she, she's like kind of a clean freak, but she looked down and she said, this is the hand of Christ. I'm going to hold hands with Jesus. And when I think about Renew, there are just sweet moments like that as we hang out with people who have special needs and, and we dance with them. And it's like you're dancing with Jesus. You know, Danielle, Jason, you're dancing with Jesus. When we, um, 
when we mentor kids who are at-risk youth and we're sitting down doing homework with them or playing games, we're tutoring Jesus. When we babysit for families who have gone through domestic violence as they're supporting one another and we're just running around with their kids and sometimes we're, we're losing our mind, we're playing tag with Jesus. You know, when we reach, when we move from year to year of our lives, I wonder, I wonder if we're really following him. Because when we follow Jesus, we end up dancing, we end up holding hands, we end up babysitting for the least of these. One of the most tangible evidences of our faith. You know, if you're in business, if you work out at a coffee shop, being with Jesus is about caring for one of those coworkers that everyone dislikes. The, the most unpopular coworker that everyone else is talking trash about, that's Jesus in your workplace. If you're a medical professional, it's the person who can't afford care or who's on, on Medi-Cal. And you giving them special attention is you giving special attention to Jesus. The person self-isolating at that Christian club or in your classroom or at church, that's Jesus. That's Jesus who has like the pan, deadpan face, walking away, not engaging. You walking up to them is walking up to Jesus. You spending extra time with that student who keeps acting up and caring for him, he's Jesus. Setting some food as uh, setting some food aside if you're in the restaurant business so that people who are homeless that you drive by or, or walk around and you get to sit down and share a meal with them, you're sharing a meal with Jesus. You know, this last part uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, um, we, we look at the miracles and the things that these goats are saying, like, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I drove out demons. I performed mir miracles. Like, I don't even know if I've done these things, right? It seems so spiritually heightened. I kind of drove out, drove out a demon once. I don't think I performed any miracles. Maybe some, like, healing from flu. Maybe prophecy. I mean, these are really huge events. And and they are the ones that are discounted. They are the ones where Jesus says, I never knew you, right? That you're evildoers, that you are using those things as a tool for your own uh, idolatry. And then we compare and contrast performing miracles, which most of us can't do, to feeding the poor. That is so accessible. We compare and contrast driving out demons that maybe we've never done to clothing someone. One is high platform and the other one is unseen. One seems super spiritual and people give you credibility for it. And another is, is easy but takes love and, and a willingness to be humble. And then the last thing I see here is, is Jesus saying, I never knew you away from me. You know, we do these things the, the doing is, is out of being. When we are with Jesus, when being with Jesus is a part of our rhythm in our life, he knows us and we know him. We know where he's moving. We know what he's seeing. We're, we know where he's going because we know Jesus. And the starting point is, is not feeding the poor. The starting point is not giving clothes or visiting someone in prison. The starting point is knowing Jesus. If you're evaluating your faith today, if you're asking whether Jesus is just another plastic idol or if he's a person, ask if you know him. And this knowing isn't academic. It's not looking him up on Wikipedia. It's not the superficial skim of his biography. Knowing in the Greek is experiencing. Have you experienced Jesus in your life? Have you heard his voice and felt his touch? Do you know he loves you? Like John and Peter, do you have stories of intimacy with him? 
Do you know him? And I want to, again, invite you as a church to sit with Jesus. And that's what we've been doing every morning at 9 a.m. That's what we are going to do again at 5 p.m. And I think that's how you know you, you know him and you love him is that you want to be with him. Uh, there's a long time ago, <laughs> me and Nina found each other and I was telling all my friends how she's the one. And they're like, how do you know? And, and it's, it's hard to answer that because I've met and all of us have met, right? Dozens or even hundreds of people of the opposite gender who are gifted, who are beautiful, who are attractive, who are kind, who love Jesus. Why Nina? Why Nina? It's because I just love being with her. And that's really what marriage is about. No matter how beautiful your spouse is or how gifted she is, if you sit on the couch long enough, none of those accolades matter anymore. Her, her or his beauty just becomes normative. And it's just about whether you love being with them, their soul, their personality, the conversations you have. And maybe how I know I'm a sheep is because I just love being with Jesus. I just, I really love sitting in front of him, being face to face with him and just having moments with him. I remember this time where I picked up Liam and we have this ritual where I give him milk and I sit him on the countertop and as he's drinking milk, I just stare into his eyes. And one time I stared so closely into his eyes that I saw my own reflection and then there's this other moment where Jesus is just inviting me to just stare at him. And I remember staring so closely into his eyes that I saw my own reflection, but I saw like him in me. It's like the reflection I saw back was Jesus. You know, when we stare at Jesus long enough, when we spend enough time with him, we become like him. It's not playing church. It's not asking for Jesus for more money. It's not just doing ministry. It's, it's knowing Jesus. Let me end with this last story. And, and I've shared it before, but um, it's, it's like a parable, right? These two men were waiting in line and, and St. Peter is at the pearly gates and they're just, they're, there's like an hour wait time, like, you know, waiting for a Disneyland ride. So this this one man turns back and asks the person behind him, hey, how will, what will you say when St. Peter asks you if you should be let in to heaven? And the man looks at him and he says, you see that man sitting on the throne? You see Jesus? I know him and he knows me. And I wonder on that day when Jesus comes and he's very obviously king, and you're standing before every angel he's ever created that fills the sky. And you are standing with all of humanity. And you hear these words, these very words we read to you today. Will you be able to say, Jesus, I clothed you, I fed you, and most importantly, even in the in your splendor, even though I can't look up, I know you. And we've had moments of intimacy together. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. I know that, you know, some of them think that they're Christian, but they're not. It's so hard for those words to roll off of my tongue, but I know it's true and it breaks my heart. And I just pray that this moment we would we would just be real about that. You know, some of us knew, have known that forever, that Jesus is just a tool, that he's just an idol to fulfill, you know, what I really want. And I, I guess what I want in this moment is for us to just say, you know what, I'm, I'm not really Christian. He's not really king. And that in this truth, we could make a decision. And for others of us, maybe we're having some doubts creep in. And that's okay because it's better to reevaluate now than to be put on the side of goats later. 
It's okay to be uncomfortable with that question. But maybe this morning you're willing to say, God, Jesus, I do want you to forgive me. Forgive me from the worst sin of serving and being about me. And I want you to be king. I want to follow you with my life. Maybe today's the day where you pray that prayer and you want the rest of your life to be evidenced toward it. I want to lead that prayer with you this morning if you mean it. And if you mean it, you'll spend every day meaning it. And so, you know, whenever I hear this prayer prayed, I pray it again. As a pastor of 20 years, I pray it again because I still mean every word. So would you pray this prayer with me if you mean it? Jesus, thank you for loving me and inviting me into your family. Please forgive me for my sin of being about me, of me being king. I want you to be the king of my life, and I want to follow you. I want to make that decision every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take communion with me this morning? Again, we have Jesus sitting on the throne, and that same Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. You know, he, he's not a king who forces us to be a part of his kingdom. He lets the goats depart because they've always wanted to walk away. But the people who are a part of his kingdom chooses to be a part of it. He's that kind of king. He doesn't use power to bring us in. He uses this. Sacrifice and love and grace. He says, I'll lay my life down for you to forgive you. I'll let my body be broken for you, represented by the, the bread. I'll let my blood be spilt for you, represented by the grape juice, so that you could be a part of my family. The king of the universe on his throne steps into humanity to die for us. And we remember that this morning by taking communion. Will you take communion with me? Thank you so much, Liz and Ben. Really appreciate you guys leading worship for us, Kenan doing the sound and tech. Um, I just want to, again, place ourselves in this scene. Jesus' default. Would you close your eyes? Look around you, 20 billion people present, future, past, lining the shore as Jesus comes sitting on his throne with all of his angels, all the people, all the angels filling the sky so there's no blue, just light, him coming in all his glory. And this is when you hear him say, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. An amazing king. What you did for the least of these, you did for me. Man, I, I, I just can't imagine a God who's so tender with all that glory seeing the people we don't even see and putting himself with them. God, I pray that you would allow us to be people who serve you and see you in the least of these. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a few quick announcements. Um, again, 
we want to invite you into community. We want to invite you to connect with Jesus, uh, with me in the mornings at 9 a.m. And then again at 5, we do the silence and solitude as we sit with this devotional. And I think these times over and over again create such deep intimacy with the Lord, a, a, a space where you get to meet him. We have small groups for every life stage. We do watch parties on Sunday. We play together. And so if you're not connected to us, we have a Google form for you to fill out. And we would love to kind of handhold you into our community. It takes 20 seconds and you get so much more of Renew and what Renew is about than this really simple live feed. And secondly, we have uh, two ways for you to give online. Um, if you are someone who's really kind of looked at your budget and put aside a portion to support this ministry, to give to the Lord through tithing, please continue to do that online. Um, we have a way to give through PayPal as well as text to give. And lastly, our small groups are going to be doing a spending time discussing the sermon. So here are the two questions I have for you. And again, you could participate in this through our comment section on our Facebook Live. But what are the ways that Jesus has become an idol in your life? And I think there's aspects of our faith that is idolatry for all of us. And I think we need to identify that. And some of us will come to a place where we're, where we're saying, most of my Christianity is about me. Most of my Christianity is idolatry. But all of us have degrees of that and just kind of starting to identify where Jesus is king in our faith and maybe where he's just an idol, a tool. And secondly, what is the evidence of what is the evidence of your life in him? Right? What is the evidence of your life in him as you look back um, in knowing Jesus, experiencing him? What is the evidence of you loving the least of these as you've walked with Jesus? for X amount of years. If, if we've started our faith in him, we might not have that many stories, and that's okay. We have our intention, our intention to follow Jesus, but it's not very long after that intention where he allows us and litters that journey with intimate experiences of him, with leading us to the least of these. So I hope that we would spend some time reflecting on this. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, for doing church together as a community. I'm always encouraged uh, by the comments, by the feedback, and we just really love, um, yeah, meeting with the Lord with you this morning. All right, thanks so much. Have a great day.